love music, live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Hello and welcome to Pole Position on Rock Sport Radio. Andy Alston with you alongside Adam Todd, broadcasting live on DAB Digital Radio across central Scotland on TuneIn and online, talking motorsport from 8 until 9. So on the show this week, Hamilton back on top as Vettel comes to a stop. Who's the rider to beat in the tie heat? And Evans is back as Tanak leads the pack. All this and more on pole position. Now, Lewis Hamilton ended Ferrari's run of three straight wins after taking the top step of the podium at the Russian Grand Prix last weekend. He finished ahead of his Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas with Charles Leclerc in third place. And Adam, uh, I take it it's business as usual now at Mercedes after that one. Well, I have to say for Mercedes it was one of the luckiest wins they've had all season because we've said so many times in this show, especially in the early part of the year, Mercedes were just brilliant, they were dominant, Ferrari, Red Bull, anyone else, they were simply not in the picture for race victories but Ferrari off the back of three consecutive wins, went to Russia, they had the pace to win that Grand Prix and they were the quicker team over Mercedes and then it all unfolded, I have to say it was embarrassing from Ferrari's perspective the way it all unfolded over Team Radio, Um, the way they pitted Charles Leclerc before Sebastian Vettel who was leading the race, he was doing a great job setting purple sector after purple sector, fastest lap after fastest lap it was a complete mess, and to be quite frank, they didn't deserve to win that race. Now, we'll come on to Ferrari in a moment, Adam, but I just, I just want to go back to Mercedes um, briefly, because was that an important win for them on Sunday? An important one too, of course, I think they're seventh of the season. Yes, OK, the, the championships are both wrapped up, but you know, everyone is, is just about in agreement of that. But in terms of, we know that Ferrari do have the pace now, they've proven that in the last three, uh, last three rounds, was it important for them to ensure that they don't go on a bit of a rut between now and the end of the season? Absolutely. It cements their place as the number one team in Formula 1. As you mentioned, the championships, you know, they're gone, done and dusted. They've won them again this season and congratulations to them. Um, uh, obviously, it's still to be officially confirmed mathematically, I should add. Um, but they were not the quickest team in Russia, yet they still went away with a 1-2 and that shows the sign of a team that has just dominated Formula 1 since 2014 and it was a huge victory for Mercedes wasn't it because you know Ferrari were going for for four consecutive race victories for the first time since 2008 and for the first time in the hybrid era we were actually starting to think hang on could this be a changing of the guard because Ferrari if they'd won four races in a row I mean who's to say they couldn't have gone on and won every single race between now and then that's how good their pace has been recently they've been fast in the high speed tracks in Belgium and Italy they were fast in Singapore and Russia and going into next season you know they would have been the team with momentum but all of a sudden Mercedes back in top and Ferrari looked silly Alright let's welcome our first guest to the show this week and it's James Eagles from our friends at the Checkered Flag to talk more about this James obviously a disappointing one for Sebastian Vettel retiring from the race but do you think that that was a particular disappointment for Seb given the difficult season that he's had? Oh, uh, thanks for having me back on, and, and definitely because Singapore, I think, what was his, it was his first victory in something like three hundred and six seventy odd days or something, or just over a year, and now he was presented with this chance 
um, at the start to to take the lead and make it two in a row, and, and he certainly wasn't keen to relinquish it. Let's say, um, despite some orders, but so yeah, the retirement was dis- disappointing. But you know, he would Ferrari engineered um, their pit stop strategy to make sure that the swap did happen in the end. So uh, who knows? He may have caught the clerk. It's just uh, a question that well, it will always remain a hypothetical. Um, uh, and something that we'll, we'll never know. I think he did have the pace to beat Leclerc, but getting past is uh, is something um, else, as, as Leclerc showed against Bottas later in the race. James, do you think people are perhaps getting a little bit tired of Leclerc's antics on the radio during the race and indeed after the race as well, of course? Because, you know, he's been with the team a little bit of a while now. There's been a lot of goodwill about him. He's done tremendously well on the track, of course, um, and he's been a little bit unlucky along the way as well. But I I just wonder, are people beginning to tire a little bit from the the, the constant complaining that we're we're hearing over team radio? First of all, I'll say I I like Charles Leclerc, but they should be because it's the same thing that fans have complained about Hamilton doing and Verstappen doing, Vettel doing, uh, and pretty much any driver. So why why shouldn't this be the same? And it is it's something that did not help him because he ended up losing five seconds uh, to Seb. Uh, maybe if he just kept his head down, been told to you know zip it and get on with it, then he may have um, you know had a better chance of catching him or certainly keeping distance with him. As it happened, it was a fantastic opening stint from uh, from Hamilton on the medium tyres. But you know he should not have been under pressure from uh, from that Mercedes. Uh, but there we are. Mm. And James, you know, of course, you want a hungry driver in your team, and and you want a driver that that does push his engineers and and everyone around them for for excellence. But you know, I I wonder if Charles runs the risk of perhaps alienating some people behind the scenes who just may perceive Leclerc to be a little bit too high maintenance and, and I'm thinking of people who have perhaps been part of the Ferrari family for quite some time they've maybe come through a lot of um, well-known drivers over the year and I'm sure you're well aware of the drivers I'm alluding to here as well James um, mm. and, and you know perhaps the advisors around Leclerc should be saying look just keep your head down from now until the end of the year and, and we'll see what happens in 2020 because if um, things go the way they, they seem to be going Ferrari are on the way up well, absolutely, but I think this is something for him. He wants to make sure that if Ferrari is in that position for 2020, he wants to be at the forefront. You know, both of them will want to be like that, but it's now too late to dedicate a one and the number two. They have to, they have to race. But it's also with this radio message, it's the nature of them. They are so passive aggressive, um, and you know, it's it's. The whole thing he said that you put me behind and I respect you for that. It's well, you know, you don't, but please carry on. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand why he's getting a little bit nervy because Ferrari's in this fantastic position that they have uh, bested Mercedes um, since the summer break. Um, I think the relief from Hamilton was was very clear to see at this win and Bottas as well at getting a one-two um, because it, it feels. We've had the, the summer break, so that exacerbates it a bit. But it feels like ages since Mercedes last won uh, a Grand Prix. Um, and, you know, Bethel knows that, Clerk knows that, Ferrari run the, the upturn. They have a good leader, I think, at, at the helm. Um, but he, he does need to instill some discipline, and maybe in a better way than uh, on Sunday evening. There was a picture of, um, I think it was at the Ferrari 
hospitality uh, suite of, of him standing next to two nor his two naughty school children in front of a horde of photographers and journalists. It's it's a little bit embarrassing for us, and the whole weekend was because a ten second victory turned into a, well a nightmare really. James, I have to say, I, I thought the race from Ferrari's perspective was a complete mess. I'm interested to get your thoughts on how it all unfolded over Team Radio, as you discussed there with Andy and, and Leclerc's antics, because I could never imagine that being the situation with Mercedes. Total Wolf would have controlled that situation. Yes, we've had angry uh, radio messages from Lewis Hamilton in the past, and yes, Valtteri Bottas was robbed of victory at last year's Russian Grand Prix, but I just don't think Ferrari are able to control these two drivers at all at the moment, and it is really costing them. And this race, for me, summed up Ferrari's season. When it should have been a 1-2, they've blown it, just as they did in the early parts of the season in Bahrain, Azerbaijan and Canada. Another missed opportunity. Yeah, they, there is no way Ferrari should have uh, engineered a switch artificially or, or through the pit stops, really, because, yeah, a, a total mess. Um, Leclerc didn't have the pace at that point, whether that was through uh, in not being in the correct headspace or just generally not having uh, the speed of Vettel. He was sensational in the opening stint. Um, and they should have kept it like that, put their foot down and said, right, OK, uh, we will deal with this later we've got a driver who isn't cooperating just keep going we'll stick to the original plan or, or what the original plan without without the swap uh, but let's just try and get through this because we have a fantastic chance of a one-two but in the end they uh, they just gave victory away and the clerk probably would have won um, that's uh, the thing uh, without this whole debacle uh, with the engineering uh, with the engineered swap so it's a double kick in the teeth, and it, it's something that they really do have to take notice. But it's best to get them out of the way now, when you know the championship is is done, as you said, virtually done, um, so they can avoid a repeat of this next year when maybe the circumstances are a little tighter. And James, moving on to another big story during the Russian Grand Prix weekend, McLaren announcing that they'll return to Mercedes power in 2021. What do you make of that move? Uh, it's very nice uh, to see for, uh, from a nostalgic point of view if, uh, if West Cigarettes can come back or their e-cigarette um, alternative, <laughs> they, uh, they, might have, um, they might have some luck. It's, it's interesting. Also, several people saying that uh, McLaren had absolutely no interest in extending its contract with Renault, uh, which I think speaks volumes. I know soon Renault would like to probably give up uh, with Renault engines. Uh, if this continues, but uh, I think it's a good move. Mercedes, I think they've asked for special allowance. Um, I'm, I'm not totally sure on, on the rules regarding uh, engine supplies with how many teams they can uh, they can do because they have, say, Williams and Racing Point as well. I'm not sure if it's uh, four teams in total, including the works team or not. Um, but if they have, then that's interesting because Nicky Lauder, he urged Toto Wolff, if you're not going to let me supply Red Bull or whoever with Mercedes engines, then you have to be consistent and you can't supply McLaren. And, uh, of course, uh, Nicky is now out of the picture and McLaren are back in. And it is a very fascinating move, I have to say. Obviously, the last time they were powered by Mercedes was in 2014, went on to Honda, then Renault. 
and it now on it to Mercedes. It's been a dreadful few years for McLaren, but this year's really seemed to be the start of something new. I think the way Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris are working together is fantastic, both on track and off the track. I think they're great for, for Formula One. So do you think this move will mm. just encourage the team as a whole? Because obviously the Mercedes power unit has been the standout one. No, but it has been uh, reliable unless you look at the Force India uh, problems, which you know could be something to do with the way that they set up new units. Um, but uh, no, I think it is good in general because it, it, it has better performance and reliability than the Renault unit. And McLaren now is in a position where it's looked at the Mercedes model and tried to replicate it. Well, Zach Brown has said that they've, they've tried to get something like Mercedes infrastructure. They have a fantastic designer now in James Key who will be working on uh, the car next year and, more importantly, 2021. Okay, they, I don't think, uh, I think Andreas Seidel said there, there aren't going to be that, you know, a big, there's not going to be a big revolution for next year, but certainly they will look to target that first Mercedes um, year or return to Mercedes in 2021. And if they can keep the driver lineup as it is and also stop any, you know, sort of fights and, and tussles that could arise, you know, good friends, as we've seen in the past, can turn to enemies very quickly in Formula One, then, um, yeah, it looks good for McLaren. And uh, it'd be nice to see them back uh, as well. If, uh, if Williams could make a return as well, that would be nice. James, I was going to ask you about the rumours we've had this week about a potential Spanish team joining the grid in 2021. But um, since we've just come on air, there's been a statement um, from Formula One which says, following publicity in recent days from several entities that have indicated their ambition to participate in the F1 from 2021, there are no serious discussions with any persons or companies about the admission of a new team. James, I just want to get your thoughts on whether you think there are there is indeed scope for for any potential new entities to join Formula One over the next few years. Yes, we've had talk of a of a budget gap um, and what have you coming in to potentially reduce costs, but is is Formula One an attractive landscape for a potential new team? Uh, not so much now. Uh, I think uh, I, the main problem is with the the engine manufacturers. It's not really. Uh, exciting or, or viable for them financially, so we're, we're almost being starved of, uh, of manufacturers. We don't really have a works Honda team, uh, unless you want to call Red Bull that. Um, so there are only three real manufacturers here, and a smattering of independent teams. But I, I hoped with Hass's success, or well, not this year, but in previous years, that more teams would look at, at maybe tying in to to do what they've done with Dara and. Ferrari, uh, but it just hasn't happened, and I, I am worried about this Camper uh, situation. As I think they tried to be one of the new teams in 2010, and this whole thing may end up being HRT 2.0, which is not something that Formula One needs. It needs cars, but it needs cars who are actually going to be able to commit seriously to this entry. Okay, you can say they were led astray uh, by Mosley and Co. when they were making their their entries. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a good look to have teams come in and then a couple of years later uh, disappear off the face of the earth um, with, without much of an explanation as, as to why, apart from the fact that they've run out of money and they're failing to qualify. Um, so it is something that, that people do have to look at and say, can we make this happen for real? Can we stick to it? Is it a sustainable model? And at the moment, I just don't think it is. Uh, so it'd be nice to see more teams because 
there's a lot of talent out there uh, that are not in Formula One seats. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say for manufacturers, certainly Formula E looks the uh, the more attractive discipline. And who knows, maybe uh, the hypercar uh, formula in uh, the World Endurance Championship as well. James, appreciate your time as always. Thanks very much for joining us here on the show. Thanks very much for having me. That's James Eagles there from our friends at the Checkered Flag. And stay with us as we look ahead to the Thai Grand Prix in MotoGP up next on Rock Sport Radio. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Motorpoint, we've put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. If you were persuaded by Lloyd's or the Halifax or any other bank to move your savings into a Stocks and Shares ISA or Unit Trust, which then ended up losing money, it's time to contact Goodwin Barrett. Text GOOD to 66777. Goodwin Barrett have already helped thousands of customers recover millions of pounds. Text GOOD to 66777 now. Goodwin You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint, and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. Love music. Live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Now, Mark Marquez has his first chance to wrap up the 2019 MotoGP title this weekend in Thailand. The Repsol Honda rider goes into the weekend with a 98-point advantage over Ducati's Andrea De Vizioso. The race also marks one year since Marquez's now teammate Jorge Lorenzo suffered a heavy crash which saw him ruled out for four consecutive races towards the end of 2018. Joining us on the show to preview this weekend is Lewis Duncan from Autosport. And Lewis, thanks for joining Joining us. I want to start with Jorge Lorenzo because he's a multiple world champion. We know the talent he has, but since this stage last season when he was on the Ducati and he had just adapted to the, the Ducati, it, things went horribly wrong. And since he's moved to Honda, it's been a disaster. Just 23 points to his name this season. Where's it gone wrong? You said there one year on since he suffered that wrist injury uh, in Thailand. That was really the, the beginning of this descent to hell that Lorenzo's suffered. Um, he hasn't been fully fit since. 
Uh, that I've had since before that Thailand race, he hurt his foot in a, a crash, a well-publicised crash uh, at the start of the Aragon race, which he blamed his now uh, Honda teammate Mark Marquez on. It's it, it was always going to be a difficult transition to the Honda. The Honda, like the Ducati, quite a difficult bike, but this year in particular it has lost something uh, in its cornering ability. It was always a difficult bike to begin with, but this year even more so, I think, Partly that has not been helped by the fact that Honda have Mark Marquez, the best rider that you know perhaps has ever been in motorcycle Grand Prix racing. On that bike, he can ride around these problems. Of course, Cal Crutchlow, the LCR rider, was injured over the winter, so he didn't really have much development input. And I, I really think that uh, worked against Lorenzo as well. I think Cal would have been able to steer the bike in a slightly more user-friendly way. Um, and yeah, it's just that's all stemmed from that Lorenzo's troubles. He struggled to adapt to it. He's of course injury after injury problem, and that's stunted his development on the bike. And uh, he's now got into a phase where he's sort of entered self-preservation mode. He doesn't want to crash. He doesn't want to injure himself again. And that stopping him from pushing uh, the bike. He said this weekend, coming into this weekend, his back feels a bit better. He's able to put a bit more power through his body and a bit more power through the bike. So perhaps this weekend could be a bit of a turning point. Uh, he said he's going to maybe have to sacrifice some stability in the bike to find a bit more rear grip uh, and tyre life because that's something that's uh, really, really hampered him. Aragon, he was running well, if you remember, in those early laps, and he plummeted to 20th outside the points and 45 seconds off of his teammate, Mark Marquez. And Lewis, how deflating do you think it must be for Jorge Lorenzo with everything he's achieved in the sport? to be sharing a garage with Mark Marquez, who's just dominated the sport since he moved up to the Premier Class in 2013. Yeah, it'll be massively dispiriting for, for Lorenzo. Lorenzo's a very uh, proud character. He's very uh, steadfast in his belief of his talents, and you can't argue with the guy. I mean, he's a three-time Premier Class world champion. Some of the performances he put on in his Yamaha days were Stunning. I mean, there were some races. I mean, the, the race that stands out for me was uh, Le Mans in 2016, where he absolutely battered the field. You know, he was over 10 seconds clear of everyone, which for a good few years stood as the biggest winning margin in the MotoGP era. Lorenzo was a stunning rider, and he did make it work eventually on the Ducati. And if he'd been on the Ducati this year, I think chances are Mark Marquez wouldn't have a 98 point championship lead. Um, so, yeah. It's hard for Lorenzo, of course, there is a bit of needle between the two of them from, you know, previous on-track uh, comings together, most, you know, famously 2013 at Jerez. Uh, but what we are seeing is what Lorenzo's plate highlights, I think, is just how good a job and how good a rider Mark Marquez is. Because this isn't a great bike. You look at the results from Aragon, you know, the Marquez obviously dominated that race, but the next best Honda was Cal Crutchlow in six, some ten and a half seconds behind or whatever it was. You know, then you've got um you know, Nakagami, Taka Nakagami, who's on the twenty eighteen bike, he was only tenth, and of course Lorenzo was twenty. So I think what we're seeing from Marquez is somewhat distorting the reality situation. Uh is he going to carry on? Does he want to carry on like this? You know, this is a world champion rider, and it'll, at the moment, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And Lewis, interesting point you made there, saying that perhaps had he stayed on the Ducati, he could have been challenging for race victories, perhaps the championship. 
a, a step too far for him. I mean, it as you mentioned, it did take him about 18 months to, to get used to that Ducati. The problem this season, you know, he's missed races through injury as well this year, but as you mentioned, there, there just doesn't seem to be any signs that that breakthrough is closer. I mean, how long can he genuinely carry on like this? Because as you mentioned, he's not willing to take the risks that he was perhaps uh, earlier on in his career because he just doesn't feel comfortable with the bike. That's no way to ride, is it? No, it's not. And it's it's it's, it's tragic to watch. You know, this is such a great champion, a great rider as Jorge Lorenzo. Whatever you think of him as a character, you cannot deny his talent. And, uh, you know... This is something we, you know, a lot of people are speaking about now. Is he going to retire at the end of the year? Lorenzo's committed to Honda for next year to see out his two-year deal. Of course, he had that dalliance of maybe signing with Pramac Ducati for next year. Um, but there is this feeling that he just might walk away from the sport. If Maybe certainly for next year, but perhaps, you know, full time. Will he get a seat in 2021? It's, you know, Lorenzo's a great rider, but there's a lot of great riders out there just now that, you know, a lot of young riders coming up that teams would be, factory teams will be snapping up for 2021. So it's a really difficult point. Whatever happens, I don't think Lorenzo has a future at Honda. I think all those bridges are burned uh, with, you know, the whole contract thing with Ducati earlier in the year. And the fact that he's not really delivering on the promise, but we cannot forget that Jorge Lorenzo wasn't Honda's first choice. It wasn't, you know, they, they built this as the dream team, but they wanted Zarco, they wanted Juan Mir, and they wanted Davizioso before Lorenzo. Lorenzo was just the best rider available once all those riders had secured their future. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's one of those. It's not. It didn't start off in the best of sort of kind of situation if you, if you see what I mean and it, it really hasn't continued that way and I don't see Lorenzo racing next year to be honest which would be a shame and I hope I'm wrong and I hope he does make a breakthrough in this Honda but I just can't see it happening And briefly Lewis, Mark Marquez first match point for him this weekend in Thailand, can he wrap it up or who's going to stop him? Well, you know we've seen it before Mark Marquez is human, he has made mistakes but he did win here last year. He went Tortozo with Davizioso and beat him. Uh, you have to think that the Ducatis will be up there. It seems to be a circuit that suits them, long straight. But, of course, the Honda's got good power now. Um, so that will be something. Uh, Yamaha's keep an eye on the Yamaha's as well. They could be a challenge. They went well here last year, and they do seem to have sorted out a lot of those problems they've had in hot temperatures. Think back to Mizano, where, of course, Quattararo, Fabio Quattararo fought with Marquez for the victory. So... Uh, it's going to be hard for anyone to stop Marquez winning the championship this weekend. He only needs to outscore Davizioso by two points. Um, so the math for him is pretty easy. Um, but, you know, let's, let's wait and see. Anything could happen. Thailand's a really uh, good circuit for racing, for pack racing as well. We've seen it in superbikes in the past as well. So um, it's not a guarantee, but I think, you know, with the math on Marquez's side, I think there's more than likely he's going to wrap up this weekend. I hope not, though. I'd like to see it just postponed a little bit longer, just to keep, you know, to keep the faintest hope of a title battle alive. Absolutely, Lewis. Thanks for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure to chat all things MotoGP with you. Thanks very much, guys.
Well, it's Duncan from Autosport there speaking to us here on Rocksport. All right, let's speak to our next guest on the show this week, and that's Scottish driver Ross Wiley, who made his return to the Porsche Carrera Cup GB at Silverstone last weekend. Ross, thanks very much for joining us. Firstly, could you just tell us how this move all came about? Well, firstly, thanks for the warm welcome. Um, it was very much a last-minute deal um, within two racing. Obviously, I've been focusing quite hard on my uh, my GT and endurance racing with uh, FF Course, uh, driving the, the 488 Ferrari. So, um, you know, it was nice to, to get the call up. Um, there was a seat available and... Um, you know what? What better way to do it than uh, join the grid at Silverstone, the the home of motorsport and uh, the BRDC? So, um, yeah, it's a real privilege. So, what were your expectations going into the weekend, then, Ross? <laughs> to be perfectly honest, there was no uh, no expectations, um, and I guess that's what made it somewhat a little bit more exciting for me as well. Um, you know, the, the Porsche can be a quite a difficult car to drive, but um, I think it's a real driver's car as well. You know, the weight all behind the rear the rear axle so that makes it a bit of a challenge is uh you know trying to get the, the weight distribution just correct um and um yeah it, it's one of those cars you really got to drive with your head and and uh, not rely on the, the driver aids because there is no driver aid so uh that's what makes it just that little bit more rewarding ross i'm, I'm interested to to get your thoughts on the power that those cars have of course it, it, it does a there's a, a fair bit of speed um, underneath that, that pedal. Um, how how difficult is it to resist the temptation to come out corners in that kind of car and just floor it? And you know how how do you, you strike that balance between going all out and then just trying to to um, get the car around, manage the tyres, and, and and manage the the race? Well, yeah, I mean, yet again, like I say, it's one of those cars you really got to drive with your head. Um, the Porsche is notorious for having uh, great traction, but um, very little front-end grip. So um, yeah, there's always the temptation as a, as a racing driver to uh, to be heavy on the right foot. But um, you know, it's a it's a case of you know getting the car stopped on the front end, getting the car rotated, and uh, of course using that grip on the rear axle uh, to get a to get a good exit. But um, I mean, the car is just raw. There is no, there is no driver aids. There's no ABS. There's no traction control. And like I say, that's um, that's just what makes that a little bit more rewarding when uh, when you do get behind the wheel. And of course, this is a series you have competed in previously, and um, it was a good weekend for yourself. You know, a second place. You were leading much of that first race as well, of course, and um, rounding off the weekend with a with a fifth place. So you must be happy enough with that. Yeah, chuffed a bit. I mean, like I say, we entered the weekend with no expectations at all. Um, it was just a, a real privilege to be back on the grid. Um, you know, the the history and the heritage that the Porsche have, we, we all as drivers uh, certainly respect that. So to be back in a, a one-make series, um, which I would arguably say is the pinnacle of um, sprint racing, um, was, was a real honour. Um, yeah, race one was pretty good. Um, we, I think we, we led the first uh, 18 laps after lap one. Certainly made the right tyre choice. And uh, the last time I raced there in 2017, I made the wrong tyre choice. So um, a bit of uh, team tactics, um, that, you know, that, that helped us get out the front end of the grid. But, of course, you take it whenever you can. Um, it would have been nice to, to obviously clinch the win, but um, second place, I certainly cannot be uh, too disheartened by that. 
phase two obviously was a little bit more of a level playing field. Everybody was on the same tyre choice. Um, I got boxed out a little bit on the first lap, but um, was able to fight back through. And I finished a, a respectable fifth, I think. So, um, yeah, quite quite happy uh, going going forward. And this is a series that's got quite a mixed grid as well. And in, in so much as we've got a pro, a pro am, and an am class. Does that come into mm. your, your mind at all when you're out there on track? Oh, massively so. And I think as a professional driver, it's um, that's one of the challenges is because when, you know, a pro driver between us all, there's, there's a couple of tenths of a second. But when you're coming up behind your, your amateurs and everything else in between, it can be quite unpredictable in terms of how they race. So um, that's really what makes it um, just that little bit more challenging. But again, that little bit more rewarding. Um and yeah, it's it's a real thrill to uh, to be part of the championship again. Hi Ross, Adam here. Take us back to the beginning of your career and what was it that made you want to get started in motorsport? Well, to be perfectly honest, I was never any good at football or golf. I think my <laughs> uh, my, my parents gave up at an early age um, of, of trying to get me to uh, you know be uh, pretty handy on the football pitch. So um, yeah, at the age of three, my uh, my parents uh, got me my first quad bike. Um, and my, my parents are involved in the forestry industry, so I was always uh, let loose up the forest roads. And I guess from a from an early age, it was almost ingrained in me. Um, you know, my parents went through a lot of sacrifices in order to get me on the grid um, at the age of twelve, and I started uh, go kart racing at a semi professional level at my uh, local track, uh, being Wark Hall, West of Scotland Car Club. Um, and uh, yeah, just you know, had a bit bit more. Um, um, you know, I, I worked really hard at it. It didn't come easy to me. I certainly wasn't. I wouldn't say I was naturally talented. I had to work really hard at it and walked away as uh, um, both junior and Brit- junior and senior British champion. I then made the the jump into uh, saloon cars um, in the Scottish Motor Racing Club, the Mini Super Cup Championship, um, and I was, you know taking that with a relaxed um, approach. Um, you know, we we done quite well in that, and I got the bug again. So I was very fortunate again to um, get the chance to go and race in Germany, and I, I, I uh, raced as part of a, a scholarship in the Volkswagen Sirocco R Cup, um, which which went well. Um, I then came back to the UK and, and raced um, an Aston Martin in British GT Championship, where... Um, in 2014, I was crowned British GT4 uh, champion. I then joined the McLaren GT Young Driver Program in 2015, which was a real honour and privilege to be a part of. And then um, between then and now, I've been jumping between uh, various uh, car manufacturers and teams, and um, you know, very fortunate enough to to uh, to earn a living from the sport that I love. And Ross, when you're growing up, I believe you're from the Dumfries area, so was that a challenge in your early years in motorsport and did that involve a lot of travelling? You mentioned your parents making a lot of sacrifices. Were you spending a lot of time in the road? Oh, massively so. Um, you know, and everyone keeps coming up to me saying, God, you must have made a lot of sacrifices. But in reality, I didn't make any sacrifices. Um, I was just doing what I loved to do and it was my parents who uh, who made the real sacrifices. And I think, you know, coming from Dumfries and Galloway, the, um, you know, it's got a, a great history and a great legacy of producing great racing drivers such as David Coulthard and Alan McNish, to, to name the very few. And I think that gave me the fire in my belly to go out there and uh, and try and make a name for myself and keep um, keep Dumfries and Galloway on the motorsport map. Um, you know, and I think 
you know, looking back, you know, the, the seven-hour journeys and, and such like to get to the racetrack, I think that's what, you know, again, gave me that little bit of extra determination. You had the long drive to uh, to really get yourself focused. But, um, yeah, I think... Um, I think coming from the area definitely, like I say, gave me that extra extra boost. And how would you describe your style as a driver? Um, it's interesting. We talk about this quite a lot. And, um, you know, I can be quite a reserved character sometimes. And I think when it comes to sprint racing, um, I'm arguably not aggressive enough. Um, hence why I've decided to try and carve a career out of GT racing where um, it can be anything from a, a half hour a half-hour race up to a 24-hour race, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm all about consistency and, and getting the car to the end of the race rather than being a little bit more cutthroat and, of course, risking damage on the car. And you're going to be competing in the final round of the Porsche Carrera Cup GB at Brands Hatch. Must be looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've... Um, I've um, I've always enjoyed racing at Brands Hatch. I've had mixed fortune there. My first race in uh, Porsche Carrera Cup in 2017 um, didn't end too well. I made it to the first corner, but didn't make it out the first corner. So uh, hopefully we can put that right this time round. Um, I have had uh, other success there before, and I think it's a real uh, a real driver circuit. So you know, hopefully we can put that right. And um, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for you know into racing gives me the opportunity and. Uh, Black Bull Whiskey and um, the Bell Group for giving me the opportunity to, to do so. And Ross, you mentioned some of your, your key partners there behind the scenes who have helped you get onto the grid. Could you just give us a, a flavour of how challenging it is for a driver to, to um, you know, get get there, ensure that you're on the track at a, a race weekend and the, the benefits that, that you, your sponsors bring? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, without the, the sponsors and partners, none of it would be possible. So, you know, yet again, I can't I can't think those guys enough. Black Bull Whiskey and uh, the Bell Group. Um, it is incredibly difficult, and certainly without without the finance, none of us would be on would be on the grid. Um, and I was just talking to someone earlier about it that uh, driving is just twenty percent of it. And the rest of it is what you do off the track and, and, of course, getting yourself on the grid. So I think it's becoming more and more challenging and gone are the days of uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, um, you know, really uh, nurturing the young talent and finding the the um, the finance to go out racing. And, you know, I, I hope that one day that hopefully I can uh, relive that legacy and, and, and hopefully give something back to the, the young drivers um, and, and, and give them encouragement to go on to bigger and better things. And Ross, just finally, what's what's on the horizon for you um, next year and beyond? Um, that I do not know. Um, I've been very fortunate enough in my day-to-day job. I've been involved with uh, Brabham Automotive. Um, I've um, been involved with the new BT62 hypercar, which is uh, built in Adelaide. Um, it's, uh, they're only building uh, 70 uh, cars. So I've been involved as a test and development driver with those guys and with the... Uh, I thought to, uh, to go and race in, in the future, and um, yeah, watch this space. Hopefully, we'll be uh, we'll be making a debut in the not too distant future. Great stuff, Ross. Thanks very much for joining us here on the show. Really appreciate the time you've given us here on pole position. Uh, no problem at all. Thanks for your time. That's Scottish driver Ross Wiley there speaking to us on Rock Sport Radio. 
Right, let's take a look to all things rally now because there's three rounds to go in this year's World Rally Championship. And of course, it's Wales Rally GB hosting the 12th round of the season this weekend. Now, after missing the first, um, the last three events, bigger pardon, through injury, Elfin Evans, he returns to action this weekend um, for AM Sports. So let's um, talk more on this and of course look at all the action by speaking to rally expert David Halley who joins us now. David, we mentioned on the show last week about the, the, the impending return of Elfin Evans and what he might achieve, but he's going to be right up for this one. He is, absolutely. He's in, in, in a mood. He's got uh, to do it. He's got no championship considerations, having taken three rounds out with his injured back. He's he's out there to go and repeat his win of a, a couple of years ago, and uh, let's hope he can manage to, to, to bring that to, together. But it's a very strong field out there. They started tonight at Ulton Park Race Circuit, of all places, so Wales Rally GB taking place in, in England. Uh, slightly bizarre, but uh, it's a, a great place for people to, to go, and there was a, a display of... of uh, previous period rally cars there, a great display of Group B cars and the likes uh, at Oulton Park. They've put on a fabulous show for them and uh, they've had a wee go round Oulton Park this evening. Doesn't mean much. Um, we, we, Those of us of a certain age remember drivers managing to lose uh, uh, rallies on the first spectator stage by throwing their cars into line enclosures or whatever. So you can't win the rally on this spectator stage, but you can certainly lose it. Some people have been taking their time and uh, looking after the cars. Some people, Chris Meek in particular, has gone 2.1 seconds quicker than everybody else. So he's also in the mood to do well in this event, but Chris doesn't know anything other than flat out. So let's uh, let's see what happens. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting three days. David, uh, of course, there's been a lot of um, attention on Elfin being on the sidelines, and he's as frustrated as anyone that he's not been able to take part in the last few events. But... I'm interested to get your thoughts on how his co-driver Scott Martin kind of keeps himself sharp because, of course, both of them are sitting out. So is there anything a co-driver can kind of do in that situation when you've got a bit of a, a gap between events like that? Well, Scott uh, and his good lady have just had a, a baby a month and a bit ago, so he's been fairly busy looking after small child rather than necessarily uh, interested in rallying. I think this is a nice break away from the house to come out for the weekend and go and play. But, uh, yeah, co-drivers, co uh, they they do an awful lot of homework before events. It's it's not just a case of turn up, sit in the car and, and, and shout at people. It's uh, they're, they're watching DVDs, they're watching, they're looking at how the, uh, the uh, pre-event test has gone. However, of course, the weather has changed massively in the last week. The uh, tests, most of the pre-event tests for this event were done in 22 degrees with dust as a problem. Ain't going to be a problem this weekend with the amount of rain that's fallen and is still falling. So um, the pre-event test is probably not worth an awful lot of uh, mileage in this particular uh, event mm. David you mentioned how a rally um, can be won early doors but it can certainly be lost how does championship leader Ot Tanak approach this one carefully very carefully. Certainly tonight, uh, 13th in, in the stage tonight, 8.8 seconds off the lead. He, he's not gone out there to win the event on the first stage, which you can't, as we've said. He's going to take it carefully, and, and, and he just needs to make sure that he's there or thereabouts come Sunday. No, no, no great panic mon uh, Friday and Saturday, but he needs to be there or thereabouts on Sunday. It's a long way to go. 
The stages are very slippy, very wet. Um, we saw in shakedown this morning the Citroen's going well following on from their superb outing last time out. So they seem to have got the, 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 the handle on the, the, the conditions. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see whether Seb Ogier can go for win number six on the event and uh, get even closer uh, to Ott in, in the championship battle with two rounds to go after this one. So, David, is this a, a must-win event for Hyundai's Thierry Neuville? I think so, yes. Uh, he's going to be uh, it, it, not as he must win, but he must be ahead and ahead by a distance away from the other two uh, title rivals. If he's behind the other two, then he's going to he, he's probably not in the championship fight. But you know, two events, two complete failures by the other two. Anything is possible in this game. We know that the, the guys are very good and they're keeping it all together. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, he's not completely out of it, but it's going to take a bit of a miracle to get himself uh, right up at the front again. So, David, just how important could this Saturday be, not just in terms of the outcome of the event, but for the championship as a whole? It, it is. It's, it's incredibly important. Um, all the events are. We've seen a, a great deal of nip and tuck. Three weeks ago, we were thinking that Sebastian Ogier was, was out of it, and then suddenly he pulls the win out of the bag, and, and he, he's straight back in it again while the others falter, as usually happens with Seb. When he does well, the others don't uh, back that up um, with, with, with top positions. So he, he's, he's dragged himself right back into the fight. So it can swing so easily. It's, it's not like Formula One where one guy's 73 points in front. No, no, this is uh, this is much closer than that, and it will, it will go right down to the wire. Mm. David, we spoke on the show last week about the potential calendar for 2020, and the FIA have confirmed that um, both Japan and New Zealand will be on it. We'll have a safari rally um, as well. How important is the return to Japan for the series? It's, well, Toyota, uh, ma- uh, manufacturer's championships last year, potentially drivers' champions this year, if, if things go odds way, then it's very important for a, a, the major manufacturer in Japan to have an event in the, their their home country. And uh, they are very, uh, very keen on their rallying in Japan. They, there's not a lot of space in Japan, Japan as, you, as you know. There's a, there's a lot of mountains and there's a lot of people. So trying to find good places, the event used to run in Japan, and it it it, um, it wasn't the greatest event in the world. But they're doing a they've done a lot of homework and a lot of backup work, and and hopefully the event will be superb. You mentioned safari. It's not really safari. It's Rally mm. Kenya. It's not. It's, it's not the safari that we know. Uh, this is going to be um, a much more uh, sanitised event than the uh, the stages of hundreds of miles across the plains on open roads with animals all over the place. This one's going to be a little bit tighter, but certainly an adventure into Africa that we've not had for a number of years. And of course, it means that we're going to lose Corsica, Spain, Australia. What, what do you make of that one? I mean, I mean, Corsica has been a, a contentious event for for a while, to put it mildly. But is, is there any other kind of surprises there? I mean, perhaps um, Germany had been touted as one that could potentially go, but has has survived. Yeah, that's, it's, Spain's. Uh, I, I think has been a fabulous event in in the past. It's a shame it's it's not going to be uh, on the calendar for next year. Corsica, as we know, it's 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 a long way to go. It's not supported hugely locally. Uh, 
and so losing that event, I don't think anybody's crying over not having to go there next year. Uh, I think Kenya will well make up for the, the, that bit of excitement. And uh, Australia has been in the calendar for years. There used to be a, a double header, Australia and New Zealand. There isn't room in the championship to have both of them. So unfortunately, uh, Australia loses out to New Zealand. And New Zealand um, first world championship win for Colin McRae in New Zealand all those years ago. It's a, again brilliant event. A little bit like a slightly warmer UK event. Um, some very nice roads through the forests there. So that it is a fabulous event, and I'm sure the the new generation of drivers will love to be out there. And finally, guys, my favourite time of the show, prediction time. Andy, you're trailing in the standings. Do you need a result here? How do you see things going this weekend? <laughs> um, I tell you, I tell you, I'd like, I'd, I would like, I would love to see Elfin do well. Um, I, I would really like to see Elfin and, and indeed Timo and M Sport do well here. Um, it's amazingly tempting just to go all out and say Chris Meek I have to say um, I'll, I'll play it sensible I, th- I think Seb yeah I think Seb he comes into this one of, of course after winning the last time out in Turkey when the pressure's on Seb delivers so I, I'm going to go for Seb OG and David how do you see this rally going? Well, I'll go for the other one, and I'm going to go for Chris managing to keep it on the island, this event, rather than throwing it into the trees. There's got to be one event he manages it. And the one thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is there are two world champions in this event, Mm. um, which we haven't had for a while with Peter Solberg. Okay, he's out in a WRC too, but uh, he's uh, having his own little battle with his son, uh, in the uh, in, in in the Volkswagen, so that'll be an interesting one to see as well, and great to see Petter back out on the stages. Absolutely, David, great stuff. Thanks very much as always for your time. You're on pole position. We'll do it all again next week, Chris. Thank you very much. That's rally expert David Halley there. Now let's find out the latest from the Scottish scene by getting the super fast Scotch roundup with Glenn Alcock. Good evening, guys. Hello to everybody who's listening. So, BTCC at the weekend, um, good for the for the Scottish driver, Adam Moffat. So, third in race three. It looked like he could have challenged for the victory at times as well, but he had a wee spin later on in the race. Um, great to see both Rory and Aidan doing so well in the, the touring cars at the moment, and it was good to see the Infinity Q50 uh, moving on. Sandy Mitchell, so he suffered some terrible luck when it looked like a victory was in the cars on the Blanktown GT and his Lamborghini Hurricane. A drive-through penalty in the last five minutes of the three-hour race at Barcelona ruined his chance for the win due to a technical infringement which happened earlier in a pit stop. So it was really a sad end to what's been a great season for the 19-year-old from Forfa. Sandy's old British GT teammate, Keenan Haggerty, so he's announced that he'll be racing in the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch with Graham Brunton Racing, who he won the Scottish Formula Ford title with back in 2014. So Keenan's a phenomenal uh, driver and it'll be great to see him back on track alongside young Graham Brunton racing star Logan Hanna at the festival. We've got SMRC this weekend, so it's the final round. There's lots to look forward to. Action kicking off at 08.35 with the Scottish Legends on track on the Sunday and it ends with the race at quarter past five with the Classic Sports and Saloons. We've also got Formula Libra on track and it's Scottish Legends for the Gridwalk. And incidentally, the second round of the eSports uh, SMRC Championships happened just now, with the, the uh, prize for the winner being a fully funded weekend in Scottish Legends next season. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, most championships are still to be tied up, so there should be a lot of action on track as the drivers try to get those last vital few points to try and clinch the, the overall win. 
I'll be competing in the Scottish C1 Cup, but I'll also be driving in a Ford Fiesta XR2, courtesy of Duncan O'Neill. And the final race will be the Martin Ramsey Trophy, which honours the 2018 XR2 champion who sadly passed away in August. So finally, I'd just like to thank everybody who supported me this season and uh, followed my progress. It's really been an amazing year and it's been great fun. Uh, West College Motorsport Academy have given me a great car and it's been an excellent uh, job by them in the first season. And I can't wait to see what next season holds for us. So I'll try and give you an update next week as uh, I look back over the final round and uh, the season as a whole. Great stuff, Glenn. And uh, I'd just like to, to echo your, your comments on Kane Haggerty. Good to hear that he's getting um, back behind the wheel. Glenn, in, in, in terms of your, your own um, outings this weekend, uh, quite interesting to know that yep. it's, it's a new um, championship you're competing in as well. Of course, you did the, a bit of Formula Ford stuff earlier in the year. How, how, how are you going to approach competing in two fronts again this weekend? It, should, it looks like it's going to be very, very similar to when I did the Scottish Formula Ford and the C1 Cup earlier in the year. So there's going to be two qualifying sessions and four races. Uh, and the races uh, in the saloons are the same as the Formula Fords. And the fact they're 12 laps, not 10 laps, like the Citroen C1 Cup. So from an experience point of view, it should be similar to that. I'm hoping it'll probably be easier in a way as well, because you couldn't find two different cars probably at Knock Hill between the, the C1 and the Formula Ford. Whereas uh, the Fiesta's very kind of similar, to be honest. I mean, it's you know it's front wheel drive. Power wise, it's got a little bit more power. It's maybe two, three seconds a lap faster from what I've seen. Um, but it should hopefully be a little bit easier to adapt between jumping between the two cars. Um, but I'm really you know treating the XR2 drive as just a little bit of fun. It'll be good to be involved in the Martin Ramsey Trophy because Martin you know was a friend of mine, and um, it's it's going to be good to kind of honour him just by getting you know another XR2 out. And competing, and there's some great drivers out there, so it should be good to be on track with some of these guys that I've known for you know for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The focus should really be on the C1 Cup, though. You know, just trying to end the season on a high. I think we're you know we're already looking forward to next year. Uh, the plan at the moment for the college is to continue on and and do another season in the, the C1 Cup and use the experience that we've gained this year um, to try and you know move things forward. I think we've had uh, a great season from an experience point of view, but we have been unlucky that both our DNFs started um, in the race one and basically that ended up uh, ruining race two because we were starting at the back, so it, it kind of uh, hurt four races really, which kind of hurt us from a kind of points. Um, championship points point of view but um, yeah overall it's been absolutely great fun and I couldn't recommend it more to people you know if they're out there and they're thinking about doing this and uh, you know doing their arts now's the time to do it you know to start thinking about the 2020 season because it's uh, it's going to come around quick and Glenn just finally a, a quick word on um, everyone behind the scenes at West College Scotland and the Motorsport Academy there because they've done some fantastic work this year um, how important has it been for you to, to have them in your corner this season but I, I couldn't have done it, I don't think, without them, to be honest. You know, I mean, I'm not particularly handy from a kind of mechanical point of view and stuff and the job that they've done. And, I mean, Patrick McGrorty, who has been the sort of team boss and uh, is really um, the, the guy that, you know, keeps me focused and really gives me a lot of support. I mean, he said to me, you know, you're getting to live your dream as a driver and I'm getting to live my dream, you know, running the car because that's something that, that he'd always wanted to do. So it's been a really positive experience. Somebody said to me at the start of the season, you know, make friends 
that for life during this and it's true because you go through some quite obviously quite extreme things i mean we've had our dramas that we've had with you know being upside down and then you know had a bit of contact and damaging stuff in the last race and um, but you pull together and you get the car back out on track and you continue racing um and i've really i've really enjoyed it it's been great so um yeah just looking forward to next year and we hope we you know we can take the experience that we've learned and then uh, just go that step further and get ourselves a little bit you know further up the grid and ultimately for the the college team it's to help the students as well and they've done a great job you know they, they built the car and um, they, they must be really proud to see it you know out on track and we've had some some good speed at times as well and um, it's maybe not been reflected in great you know finishing positions unfortunately but um, we've, we've still never finished in last position or anything this year so touch wood that you know that, that continues as well Great stuff Glenn thanks very much as always for your time on the show and best of luck out there this weekend Great thank you very much guys cheers that's the Superfast Scots roundup there with Glenn Alcock. And that's just about us for pole position this week, Adam. But, um, you know, last um, outing for the SMRC of the year this weekend at Knock Hill, we've been up there a good few times this year. And, um, it, you know, for anyone who hasn't been along to, to, to motorsport, this is, this is a fantastic avenue to go on and just get a, a feel for it. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say it's incredible to think that this is the final race meeting. It doesn't seem that long ago <laughs> we're is. speaking to Glenn at the start of the season. He was making his debut in the C1 Cup, which has proved a f- fantastic success and has given many opportunities to drivers. So that's been a great class. But, you know, you get so many races during the day and they're all quick starting as well. There's a quick turnaround and not to other events where, you know, it can maybe be half an hour, an hour between categories. So it is a great day out. They've put on a great show this year and it'll be a great event um, this weekend, I'm sure, as well. So best of luck to Glenn and all the competitors. Absolutely. And unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on pole position this week. But we'll be back from 8 o'clock next Thursday night to do it all again. My thanks to Adam, to our guests, and to you for joining us as well. Stay tuned for The Rock Zone, coming up next, right here on Rock Sport Radio. Love music. Live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio.